Hi, you're listening to the Connect Your Health to Life coaching podcast. I'm your host, Seth Lusk. I am a self-image coach and empowerment coach with a decade-long background in working in the health, fitness, and nutrition industry. If you're anything like I was or the way that my clients currently are, then you might be struggling with body image issues, self-image issues, or issues with confidence. You might be trying to figure out why you can't take the ideas that you have for living your healthiest and most fulfilling life and turn them into lifelong actions. So join me in this podcast as we dive in deep on topics of mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. We're going to look from the perspective of an authentic and empowering mindset and from self-awareness, self-love, and of course, how we can start taking authentic self-action towards living that healthy and fulfilling life that you know you're here to live. I'm going to bust through some of the illusions and myths that we've all been taught to believe along the way and offer you confidence and clarity. I'm so excited to have you on this journey with me. So the only question is, are you ready to find out how you can start living your most authentic and fulfilling life once and for all? Then let's get started, shall we? Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. And for those of you listening in for the first time, welcome, welcome. Um, we have a very interesting topic. I know I say that every week, but really, truly, every topic I pick is super interesting. That's why you should listen to this podcast more. So um, thank you for joining us today. And today we are going to talk about something that I feel is so important for everybody to grasp. Um, and it goes along with why it is that I chose to niche down in being a self-image and empowerment coach is that where I saw most people struggling in my decade-long background working in health and fitness is that people struggled with their image of themselves and how they saw themselves, how they spoke with themselves, and in so many ways they disempowered themselves in their own lives by how they did this. And one of the ways in which we build up this um, powerful and loving self-image for ourselves is for us to work on our self-confidence. So today that's what we're going to talk about, self-confidence in action. And what I mean by self-confidence in action is that today I want to show you all how confidence is something that we have to it's an active process that we take part in. It's not just something that's going to happen for you. Um, a couple of disclaimers. Number one, if you hear some background noise, I've got two things going on here. <clears throat> uh, because of coronavirus, my husband's um, you know, continued education courses are online now, and he's doing them from home today. So if you hear some talking in the background, he's out in the living room on his computer doing a Zoom call with his, uh, his college um, or university studies. And also because spring is here, thank goodness, uh, we have some landscapers outside doing some work outside of the apartment. So if you hear some talking or some loud noises, we have company this morning. So let's get started in talking about self-confidence, shall we? <laughs> All right. First off, I want to start with defining the word confidence. Confidence, the definition that I found is the feeling or belief that one can have faith in or rely on someone or something. Okay, so when we talk about self-confidence, the definition is very much the same, but it's the feeling or belief that one can have faith in or rely on one's self and abilities. 
Um, and I also looked up on the psychology dictionary online. They have their definition of self-confidence. And I wanted to throw that in here too, because I found it interesting. It's an individual's trust in her or his own abilities, capacities, and judgments, or belief that she or he can successfully face day-to-day challenges and demands. <clears throat> so, self-confidence. That's what we're talking about. And I also want to address the, um, the, the word self-efficacy kind of comes to mind when people talk about self-confidence. And so I want to talk about the difference between these two terms and why it is that we're talking about confidence today, not self-efficacy. So self-efficacy usually is more future-focused and based and focuses on sort of like one specific set of skills or abilities. And it's the person's belief in themselves to take actions in the future from that specific set of skills or abilities to create results for themselves in their future. Confidence, on the other hand, is a bit different. It's more generalized and it's it tends to it seems to be based more in actions that we've already taken and how that then they create our sense within ourselves that we believe in our ability to create more of those kind of actions for ourselves in the future. But this self-confidence is different than self-efficacy and in that that it's a little bit it comes more from the past than self-efficacy and then also it's the fact that it's a little bit more general in it's like a broad sense of our ability to take actions and create change in our lives so whereas self-efficacy focuses on something very specific like you may have self-efficacy in your ability to write you may have self-efficacy in your ability to speak in public you may have self-efficacy in your ability to do computer work or computer programming but self-confidence is about our general belief in our ability to do or take actions to create action towards our goals and that we're also able to take actions and learn new things that we will then create self-efficacy for ourselves in. So self-confidence is a little bit more broad, which is why I want to talk about that versus self-efficacy. Um... So self-confidence also seems to request from us that we create evidence from past actions to build that confidence. It's not just it's not just going to happen and it is based on past actions, but it requests for us to create evidence from that, those actions that we've taken. So it doesn't just stop at the action. And I want to say that this is where I see so many confidence-building strategies and systems that are put out online and for people to books to read. This is where they seem to always stop, and therefore why I always see them failing in people taking these concepts, these systems, and then applying them, applying them to their lives, and then living from that system. They always seem to stop at, okay, now we figured out how to take the actions that are going to build confidence, do that, boom, done. So we're going to talk a little bit more about this today as far as why it is that we don't stop with just the action. First, before we dive into that, let's talk about why is self-confidence so important? Because I know a lot of people think that like confidence is like this soft skill. It's kind of like a waste of time. Once you've got everything else nailed down, then you can maybe work on your confidence. But I'm here to tell you that the confidence, just like everything else I teach you guys... The self-image, the empowerment, the mindset, that it all has to come first. It has to come first. Otherwise, all the actions you're taking 
are coming from spaces that are not, they're not going to be sustainable. They're not going to help you to become empowered in your life and to create a fulfilling life that is authentic for you. So why is confidence important? Self-confidence is important because it helps us in creating energy and motivation to take actions towards our goals in life. But not just that, it also creates more motivation to create bigger goals for ourselves as we build stronger and stronger beliefs in ourselves and our abilities and capabilities to achieve these these actions. So confidence kind of helps us by building our confidence, we create this sense of empowerment in our lives. And as we take actions over and over again, we prove to ourselves that we're capable of taking these actions. So we feel empowered and we feel motivated. We feel energy. This is why um, self-confidence is important. But also, here's some interesting facts that I found for you. Research has linked confidence with leading to more fulfillment in life and greater enjoyment out of life, especially in middle life and in careers. Also, very interesting fact, Higher self-confidence has even been linked to a higher survival rate after a serious surgical procedure. That's fascinating. I find that really, really interesting. So I think we can see now that having self-confidence is something important. It's something that we want to consider. It's something that we want to look at. It's not just something to brush over as a soft skill that we'll maybe hopefully develop later on in our life. It's going to be the, at the core of building our life upon it. It's not just something that we build our life and then we work on our confidence. The confidence is there first and then therefore helps us to build that life that is fulfilling for us. So what I see happening a lot in the world today is that many people want to sit around and consume knowledge to create confidence. And I understand why they want to do this. But I'm going to show you here why this is this is a trap. Because you see, what they're wanting to do is they're wanting to wait around for this feeling of mastery of the information that they're consuming before they take any action on that knowledge. So they're waiting around to feel like they've mastered the information, to feel confident before they take an action on that knowledge. And this is mainly because they're afraid of being judged for taking an action and they're afraid that if they take that action with without being able to perfectly, um, you know, uh, predict and control the outcome of the action, that they'll therefore be judged by other people or themselves. So they just sit in consuming knowledge constantly. And what I want to say is that this is really it's a it's a symptom of perfectionism. But this also tends to rise from our people pleasing nature that's within all of us. People want to be liked, and they want to be liked so much that it's almost like they're afraid to take an action without believing that it will be beyond reproach by anybody. I mean, like, they don't want anyone to be able to criticize their action because they believe that if anyone criticizes that action or the results of that action, that therefore they have to believe about themselves that the criticism is, is something negative about them or mean about them, and that they for, therefore have to believe that about themselves and then have to believe that about their abilities to take actions in the future. So people are, they're afraid of that judgment. And it's really fascinating because a lot of times this judgment is, is not even, it's not even a fact. It's like a, it's like a perception of another person's perception. So that's fascinating. But okay, there are several illusions here that I want to take apart in dealing with this perfectionism and the people pleasing nature of not taking action because we want to be beyond reproach first. Number one, 
The first illusion is that another person's opinion of you is factual and that you can know it fully. And the illusion that it's not, this person's opinion is not based in their limited perception of the world. So what I mean by that is that when we hear another person's opinion, we tend to think that it's just a fact. We have to take it as a fact. And we forget sometimes to consider the fact that this is based on this person's limited perception of the world, just like every person has a limited perception of the world. So it doesn't have to be a fact for us. All right, so illusion number two is that someone else's opinion can make you feel something or believe something about yourself. Remember the thought model. We create our own feelings. We create our own beliefs about ourselves. Now, when we're kids, we tend to accept other people's beliefs about us because we don't know yet that we have that power to do it, but we know it now as adults. And if you don't know it, I'm telling it to you right now. You have the power to create your own beliefs about yourself. No one else can do that for you unless you give them the responsibility of doing it for you. No one can take that responsibility away from you or take that power away from you. That is yours to have and cannot be taken. It can only be given. Okay, so no one else's opinion can make you feel or believe something about yourself. If someone else's opinion, if you are making that mean something about you, it is because you are choosing to do that. I need you to see your power there. It's not blame. It's, it's me showing you your responsibility in this situation, that you have the ability to respond to someone else's opinion. And one of those responses is, I don't believe that's true about me. And here is why. Okay, so illusion number three. Illusion number three is, and again, we're, we're talking about why people don't take action on the knowledge that they're learning until they feel like they can take the perfect action that is beyond reproach. Illusion number three is that a perfect action even exists. Let that sink in for a second. The, the belief that a perfect action even exists is a massive illusion. No matter what action you take, no matter how long you spend learning, you can have a PhD on the topic, and you can have 10 PhDs on the topic. It doesn't matter what action you take. It will never be perfect. And there will always be at least one person, more than likely millions, because we now have like 8 billion people on the planet, but there will always be a person that will disagree with your actions and say that you could have, should have done something differently or better. So here's what I want you to understand. The illusion that a perfect action exists, that's the biggest illusion. That is the biggest illusion. There is no such thing as a perfect action. So stop waiting around in that belief that the perfect action is going to come to you and you're going to take it. It's never going to happen. Okay, so we've got those three illusions out of the way. So here's another reason why I think people get stuck in the information consumption trap is what I'm going to call it instead of taking courageous action to build their confidence. And I think this goes back to the, this reason that I'm going to bring up. It goes back to how our primitive brain is wired, because remember that our primitive brain wants to keep us safe and alive. Our primitive brain is always looking for something wrong. It's looking for the negative because it wants to keep us safe. Our brain is wired to search for the negative to search for the fear, to search for the risk. I want you to become aware of that. And not because I want you to feel hopeless, because here's the thing. We can work with that awareness. We do not need to become a victim of our brain, because remember, the brain is a tool that we get to use. 
But the, the, I think the issue is that most of us don't fully understand how our brain operates, so we don't know how to use it as a tool. It's kind of like picking up a, a chainsaw for the first time and not knowing how to turn it on. Well, it's not going to cut wood very effectively if you don't know how to put gas in it and oil it and turn it on and hold it properly. I mean, you have to know how the tool functions before you can use it. But most of us sit around without looking at the, the, the guidebook to how to use our brain, and we let our brain use us. And the primitive brain will always look for the negative, will always look for what is not safe, for what is risky, look for the fear. So because of this, our primitive brain enjoys the familiar, it enjoys the comfortable. And so to your primitive brain, consuming information fulfills these requirements for it over taking action. Consuming information doesn't necessarily require for us to do anything risky, and it's Comfortable because it doesn't require us for us to really do anything with the information that we're consuming. So it feels less risky to the brain. But here's the thing. I've even seen people stop consuming information because they've recognized that the information that they're consuming has now created some cognitive dissonance in their brain. They don't want to look at that cognitive dissonance. They don't want to explore the question and the area that feels uncomfortable in the information that they're consuming. So sometimes people even stop consuming information that starts to feel uncomfortable because the information asks for them to consider something new and uncomfortable. But typically speaking, to the primitive brain, consuming information always feels less risky and more comfortable than taking actions. So the brain, if we don't use it, it will try to use you to keep you in information consumption. It will keep you in that loop, and it will try to do so as long as it can. Try and convince you, don't take actions, don't take actions, that's scary. Just stay here and learn some more information. Eventually you'll learn enough information that taking the action will feel comfortable. And again, this is because action on information requires for us to step into a little bit of the unknown, which the the primitive brain doesn't like. And sure, when we're learning information, we kind of, it's like we know in theory how that knowledge works. But here's the thing, when you go to put it into application in life and do something with it, you'll notice that your brain will start throwing up all of these uncertain variables. <laughs> all of these things like, wait, what if this happens? Wait, you don't know. What if this? What about this? Did you, do you know about this or how to do this? Or what happens if this happens when this happens? And your brain will literally come to a screeching halt and say, like, stop, wait, stop. It's like, don't go any further. We don't know for sure yet what's going to happen, so just stop, because what if you die? You know, this is the conversation that goes on in the brain all the time. I find it almost humorous how many times a day my brain will try and convince me, don't do that, you might die. Don't do that, you might die. It's fascinating. It's, It's really interesting. And also, if you think about it, how many of you, consider this, how many of you are are willing to walk across the street? I would say most of us are as adults. We're willing to walk across the street. I'm sure there are people out there that are afraid to walk across the street that don't, that avoid crossing streets at all costs. But I think the majority of us adults, we learned how to cross the street at a very young age, and so we do it. But how many of you will avoid at all costs getting up on a stage and talking to people? I think most of us as adults will avoid that. But here's what's interesting. (laughs) there's so much more risk that a car might hit you and kill you walking across the street than you standing on a stage and talking to people. But yet we fear standing on the stage more because it's an unpracticed 
practice. Unpractice, practice. Think about that for a second. That's already empowering in and of itself. So our brain is going to scream at you this idea to stop and not take action and go back to just learning information because to your brain, that sounds less risky. Even if the information that you're going to go back and consume is designed to get you closer to taking actions that you just stopped taking, your brain will convince you, go back and do that, that feels safer. And what and what's so sad is that I see people get stuck in this loop for years or decades, and they, they never take action. Every time they go to take an action, they'll notice a new unknown variable that comes up of what might happen if they take an action, and then they allow their brain to convince them to go back to the safety of just learning some new information rather than taking action and learning by doing. And they stop stay there convincing themselves that eventually they'll learn enough information to be able to take that quote-unquote perfect action that doesn't exist. And that they'll eventually know all of the variables and everything, and that they'll feel safe and feel certain and feel confident to take that action. But guess what? That time never comes. It never does. It never will. My friends, stop believing it's going to come. I promise you, it's not going to come. It's not going to happen. So... Here's another way that I see people undermining their own ability to create self-confidence, not just in sitting in inaction and consuming information. What I see is that some people will start to take actions that require courage of them. And remember, courage means that we're taking actions towards a goal or a value when fear is present, but we act anyways, okay? So I'll see them doing this, and they're achieving things in their life, but then they don't allow themselves to see the power in having created those actions and taken those actions. They don't allow themselves to see the significance in their role in choosing to take those actions. And that before taking the actions, they saw them as scary and difficult. They, they, they bypass all of that. So once they take them and achieve the outcome, that whatever it's going to be, if it's a great outcome, they, they want to downplay it. They want to talk about all the ways that they didn't get exactly what they wanted, how it could have been better, how maybe it was just beginner's luck, or how it's really nothing special because someone did something better than them. And this undermines the very process of building confidence in oneself. I need you to notice that. So, you see, we can't stop at just taking the action and then just wait for the confidence to arrive. I want to give you an analogy. This is kind of like, if you can imagine, if you spent hours preparing ingredients for a recipe, getting them all cut up, mixing them together, putting them all together in the proper way, and then putting them in the dish, and then you put them in the oven, and then you just leave your house. Just leave. And then hours later, you sit there and wonder why you don't feel full from the food that you just spent hours preparing. My friends, you have to cook the food and then take it out of the oven and eat it to feel full. You have to take you have to take the food out of the oven and eat it to feel full. So much like in this scenario, if we just take the actions and then wonder why we don't feel confident, you have to remember that confidence is an active process that we create with evidence from the actions that we took. It does not just happen to us. Remember, confidence comes from evidence that we've created from actions that we already took. So what that means is that the act of creating confidence doesn't stop at just taking the, the, the courageous action. Okay? So what we need to do is set an intentional amount of time to give that action attention, give it acknowledgement, to celebrate it. And this time... 
I want you to recognize is just as important as building self-confidence as taking the action itself. The celebration and the acknowledgement is just as important. And I don't want you to get me wrong. It doesn't have to be like some huge, grandiose celebration. Like you don't need to go home and throw like a, a party with friends every time you, you take courageous action. What's important here is that there is power in the intention and to the intention to set that time apart to acknowledge that action with intention. That is where the power lies. It's not in the grandioseness of the celebration. That's It's that this part of the process gets its own time and intention. That's what gives that part its pro- that part of the process its power. And this part of the process goes so far in creating self-confidence. Because remember the definition of confidence and what confidence requires is that we believe in our abilities. And we create that belief in our abilities by by creating evidence from the actions we've taken. So, Inevitably, when I talk about people building up their self-confidence or, or like celebrating themselves, there's always this this fear. Well, not always, but usually there's this fear that comes up in people and in clients of mine and friends that I talk to or groups of people that I talk to, inevitably someone's going to be like, well, I don't want to become arrogant or I don't want to be narcissistic. So I want to address that here. I want to talk about that because I know some of you, when you, when you hear the, the self-confidence, you get this mental image of someone that you would label as narcissistic or arrogant, or maybe you would call them full of themselves. So um, this is not a self-confident person. (laughs) Number one, what I want you to see is that narcissism is not the result of too much self-confidence. I know that we've been taught to believe that narcissistic people are full of themselves and full of self-confidence, but here's what I need you to recognize about narcissism. And they're, they're starting to recognize this in research and psychology is that narcissism is actually the result of having an extremely fragile self-image and self-esteem. And that self-image and self-esteem is so fragile that the person feels the need to constantly seek approval and validation of their importance. And often they will do this or try and do this at the expense of other people's importance and worth. So here's the thing. Someone who is self-confident doesn't need other people to validate it. This is not because the person that is self-confident is better than other people. So don't think that. That's not what I'm trying to say here. And it's not that the other people don't matter or that they don't want other people around. But they, what, they, what it is is that they don't need to be the center of attention. They don't need other people to constantly tell them how important they are and how awesome they are and validate them. They already know that for themselves. That's what a self-confident person does. They know this for themselves. They do not need to spend a bunch of time having other people build up their self-confidence because they took care of that already. You see, becoming self-confident doesn't mean that you will become this mental image of this person, maybe someone that you work with or someone that you go to school with, who's constantly trying to be the center of attention and talking about how awesome they are and trying to get other people to agree with it. Um... Yeah, this that that's not self-confidence. That is not a self-confident person. Self-confidence is not the people who believe that they are better than other people and this is what makes them awesome. Self-confidence is something totally different. I want you to imagine self-confidence is like an invitation. It's like an it's an openness to see the authenticity about who we are or who the self-confident person is. And it's a faith in that person's abilities. 
and in knowing that they are good, that they are loved, that they are likable and strong, and that they are someone that is worth being known fully. That's what self-confidence is. And self-confidence does something else that arrogance does not do. You see, where arrogance puts up a wall and tries to be better than other people, self-confidence invites everyone around you to be authentic and open too, and to see the same things about themselves that the self-confident person is seeing in themselves. Because unlike arrogance, other people being open and authentic and seeing how awesome they are, it doesn't diminish the awesomeness of the self-confident person. Because the self-confident person recognizes there's enough to go around. A confident person sees that. Whereas an arrogant person is threatened by other people becoming awesome, or seeing their awesomeness and becoming authentic and opening up. An arrogant person perceives their worth is coming from other people feeling less awesome, or feeling not as good in comparison to them. Because arrogance comes from a fear of not being good enough. Not being good enough to be fully seen for who they are. The person who is arrogant. It comes from a fear that if everyone else is seen for who they are, that someone else might be better than them. So arrogance puts up walls. It puts up fences. It puts up defenses and challenges people. Arrogance tries to control the situation of how other people feel about themselves and even about other people. It tries to control how much other people are allowed to show up as their authentic self and to see their own greatness. Arrogance comes from scarcity, so it wants to control what it believes to be a scarce resource of awesomeness, of abundance, of authenticity, of goodness. Confidence doesn't react to this fear because confidence is open to seeing this fear as an illusion. And it says no. Confidence says, no, I know that I'm enough, and I'm awesome, and so is everyone else here. Because confidence opens the mind and the body. And it opens the mind and bodies of the people around it. Arrogance closes the mind and body and tries to close the people around it. Arrogance tries to challenge people around it, to compete with it, to prove who is more awesome. Whereas confidence opens up the space to allow awesomeness and happiness and abundance to abound and to be invited in by everyone around it. Arrogance requires for people to validate the worth of the arrogant. And to do this either actively or passively by agreeing that the person who is arrogant is more important, more valuable, more likable, more quote-unquote enough than other people. Arrogance tries to achieve this by getting you to either actively agree with it or by arrogance will try and convince itself that if you back down from its challenge, that that's passive agreement. If you back down from this challenge of proving that you're more worthy, then that's your passive agreement that the person who made the challenge, the arrogant one, is more worthy than you. But here's the thing. When we're a self-confident person, we don't play by those rules. We don't play by the rules that we need to prove that we're more worthy than another person to be worthy. So we don't participate in that challenge. And we know that it's simply because we play by a different set of rules. We play by an unlimited resource of goodness, of worthiness, of lovability, of likability, of awesomeness. 
And so we don't need to take part in that challenge. We're not backing down from the challenge. It's not a challenge for us. Why in the world do I need to prove that I'm awesome? I already know that. That's not a challenge. And I'm sorry that you feel like this needs to be proven. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be an example that it doesn't have to be this way. That's self-confidence. Self-confidence doesn't require for us to be better than other people. Those are the rules of arrogance. So this is how self-confidence is different than arrogance. With self-confidence, I want you let's let's look at the word itself. <laughs> itself. Self-confidence. So that confidence comes from and is validated by the self. Other people are not involved in that process. Other people don't need to prove it by being less than. Other people don't need to provide it. And it certainly doesn't come from other people feeling unconfident or unworthy. So a person who is genuinely self-confident is not arrogant. They're not narcissistic. They're not better than anyone else. And they don't need to be this center of attention-seeking person because they already know who they are. And they know that it's good enough. And they want everyone else around them to see it too. So if you don't believe me that narcissists are in fact not confident people, I just want you to look at the DSM-5. The DSM-5 is the, it's the guidebook for diagnosing mental disorders. And if you look in the DSM-5 for narcissistic personality disorder, you will see that in fact, a person who suffers from narcissistic personality disorder has an extremely fragile self-image and self-esteem. And that this lack of a firm self-image and self-esteem is not the description of someone who is self-confident. A person with self-confidence has a very firm and healthy self-image. And that this lack of self-image and self-esteem, this is where the attention-seeking, loud behavior, and the need to feel better than other people comes from. We see it as coming from an overly inflated sense of self. Because that's, that's kind of how we've been taught to see it. But what I want you to start recognizing is that this behavior does not come from an overly inflated sense of self. It comes from a lack of it. They are trying to get you to prove their worth to them by either being less than them or by constantly praising them. People who are narcissistic don't know themselves at all. So they want the people around them to help them know themselves and how awesome they are. That's why they act in that way. So what I want you to see is that you can be full of self-confidence and you can still be loving, you can still be kind, you can still be compassionate and giving and a serving person who works well with others and lifts other people up. I promise you, I've seen it before in my life and in other people's lives. A person with confidence is someone who can still love and be compassionate and give and serve other people and lift them up and want them to see their confidence and awesomeness too. All right, so now that we have that clarified a bit, <clears throat> let's look at how we can build confidence in ourselves. I know we talked a little bit about the actions and what we do afterwards. So we go back to the definition of confidence. We see the belief that one can have faith in or, re or rely in one's own abilities and oneself. So if we approach, approach self-confidence from the passive perspective, then what we'll do is we'll wait around in our comfort zone and we'll do things that feel comfortable. And therefore, what we'll do is we'll create confidence that we can do things that we're comfortable with. There's a problem here 
Because do you know what's not comfortable? New things, uncertain things, things that we've never tried before. Next question. Do you know what achieving goals in your life is going to require? It's going to require that you do new things, that you do uncertain things, that you do things that you've never tried before. (laughs) So if you can see why only building up our confidence and our ability to do comfortable things and familiar things creates a problem here. So I want to look at this a little bit closer. The things that we are comfortable with doing, like walking, pouring a cup of water, getting showered in the morning, brushing our teeth. These are all things that when we were babies, they were brand new uncertain actions that we had never tried before. So I want you to imagine if as a baby, you just decided, nope, not going to try that. (laughs) Not going to do that. I'm not going to try walking. That looks dangerous. I'm not going to try brushing my teeth. That looks like it could be hard. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if I'll be good at it if I try. So, nope, not going to do that. If we approached our lives as babies this way, instead of being curious about these actions and wanting to learn how to do them and trying them when we're not exactly sure how to do it, but taking the action anyways, falling down, trying to brush our teeth and totally failing at it, and then trying it again and trying it again until eventually we're able to do it. If we did, if we chose the approach of not, nope, I'm not going to do that because I don't know how to do it yet, then guess what? We would be a bunch of adults waiting around on someone else to come and brush our teeth in the morning, someone else to bathe us, someone else to carry us around, and someone else to pour glasses of water for us. And I think that most of us can see that we don't want that. We don't want that. I don't want it. I don't think you want it either. I don't want someone else brushing my teeth for me. I don't want someone bathing me. I'm sorry. I find that to be extremely awkward. Maybe, you know, in some romantic, intimate situations, if you're into that, be into it. But I think on a daily basis, we like to be able to, like, wash our own hair and our bodies. You know? Okay, so the same principle applies to us when we go to approach our goals in life and build our self-confidence to go after our goals in life. So... We look at our goals and we see the actions that we need to take to reach them. So if I were to say to myself, nope, not going to try that because I've never done that before and I don't know if I'll be good at it if I try it, then I'm just going to sit around consuming more and more information, hoping that eventually I feel like I've learned enough information to convince myself that there's no longer an unknown variable and no longer any risk and that I believe that I'm just going to be able to take perfect action in it when I try it out for the first time. But as I said before, this moment will never come. It will never come. There will always be some unknown variable or risk, and your brain will make sure that it finds it. (laughs) Because remember, it's wired to do that, to look for danger and look for the negative. And it thinks that's what its job is. But remember that we can learn how to use it and reprogram it to look for the good and to look for what we can do and how we can learn from taking those actions even when it feels uncertain and a little bit scary. And then therefore we can get ourselves back into a position of empowerment in our life. I see so many people waiting around for their confidence to happen to them so that they feel like they can rely on their abilities to take the actions towards their goals. But remember about confidence, it is an active process. And remember about confidence that it comes from the evidence that we create, remember create, it doesn't just happen, from our stories about our past and the things we have done and what we believe about our abilities based on those things. It doesn't come from a future possibility. Although when we do create confidence, it does open up the doors for options that we will consider more for future possibility for ourselves in the future. 
So then, how do we create confidence to take those actions? <laughs> okay, so are you <laughs> are you ready for this? Because you're not gonna like this answer, but here it is. We create the confidence to take those actions by taking those actions. And I know some of you just now wanted to throw your phone across the room or close your laptop or turn off your computer or punch the screen or break the speakers or turn, just be like, you know what, screw you, I don't want to hear it anymore. (laughs) I know some of you are like, screw you, Seth, I want an easy way in. (laughs) Oh, there's no easy way in, my friends. There's no easy way in. But as we practice it, we become more confident. And with that confidence, we take more action. So stick with me here. Because there's another part to this illusion that's holding you back. And we touched on it a little bit earlier. It's the illusion of perfectionism. We're going to talk about more when it comes to perfectionism in a, a future episode very, very soon in the future. I think maybe two or three episodes from now. But for now, here is how the illusion of perfectionism is holding you back. And how the desire to be result-focused and to look for the outcome as being the evidence of whether or not you should have tried, how that's holding you back, and how it's trying to get you to hurry up and get there. Because the, the there is where people think that they will have all of the answers and the actions planned ahead of time in this infallible way, and they'll be beyond reproach. Um, so... People want, there's this desire for perfectionism and this desire to like hurry up and get there because we think that we'll feel better when we're quote unquote there. And people believe that, like I said, they're going to have all the answers and they're going to find this infallible way that's beyond reproaching criticism that they're just going to be able to take step after step after step after step and that there'll be no obstacles until they reach their goal. And I think most of us, if we logically think about this, we know that's not reality. But if we allow our brains to just kind of do their own thing, it will try and convince us of that. And what I want to say is that so many of you are allowing your brain to convince you of that. And you're not even seeing that that's what you're letting your brain convince you of, is that if you just keep learning more information, eventually you'll be able to take that perfect action. But here's what I want you to realize. It's not the reality. There are so many unpredictable variables that we can't answer for and we can't account for, and the goal is not to do that. This is just part of the process of being willing to take a step and not know for sure what the outcome will be. We can know what we want it to be, but we have to trust that when or if the outcome isn't what we wanted it to be, that we'll find a solution for that outcome. And then we just do that. And then the more times we do that, do you know what we build? We build confidence, self-confidence, and our ability to take a step and find a solution no matter the outcome. And I don't want you to get me wrong here. I'm not saying don't plan. So when I say, you know, perfectionism and that perfectionism is the illusion that's holding us back, I, I don't want you to think that I'm saying we can't plan. We can plan. But what I see people doing is that they plan and then they want to revamp the plan and then they want to revamp the plan until they feel like the plan is infallible and perfect. So if you're waiting around on perfectionism, before you act on that plan, you'll never act on it for two reasons. Number one, again, perfect doesn't exist. It never has, and it never will. We don't want it to, because if it existed, first of all, we wouldn't be able to understand it. And if we did understand it, we wouldn't be talking about this right now. So it doesn't exist. So even if you quote-unquote find that what you believe is the perfect plan... 
There is so much outside of your control that will be happening at the same time that you cannot account for, that you will be constantly trying to account for, that you will just constantly be revising that plan over and over again, trying to re or account for those variables and the unforeseen issues that will come up that you haven't planned for yet. And you'll just get stuck in that cycle. Because guess what? Chaos and unpredictability is just part of the reality. And this idea of perfectionism will try and convince you to make the plan with resistance to that fact. Resistance to the fact that chaos exists. And so therefore you will never take actions on the plan. So how do we plan and take action? Here's how we do it. First of all, we start by, go back to the episode of remembering the future. We start by remembering our future. And then we ask ourselves, what did I do to get there? What did I do to get there? And we work backwards to where we are today. And we break down our plan into daily steps that we can take. And here is where the hurry up and get there part desire comes in and, and, and it can derail you. Because what I, what I see so many people doing is that they make their first step actually 10 steps ahead. So you don't need to be in such a hurry that you're taking action steps that are 10 steps ahead of where you actually are in your plan. So we create daily action steps that, they're, yes, they're going to be uncomfortable. They're going to be uncertain. We're not sure what's going to lay on the other side of them because this is new stuff. This is new stuff we're trying. But this is necessary to create growth towards our goals. We do this while remembering that we're already enough just as we are. We're not doing this to become good enough or to prove our worth. We're already 1,000% worthy. So we know that. And then we can still take a step. And in each step, we can be in the presence of it, be in our confidence, not worrying about what's coming up 10 steps ahead. We're not there. We're in the step we're taking right now. So let me give you an example of how this might look in real life. So say I want to create a program to help people that are struggling with eating disorders, and I want to help them regain a positive relationship with food in their bodies. Okay, where would I'm going to start by asking the question, where would I see people that are wanting to, to, to try this program? But where I would see most people start is they would want to start writing the program. <laughs> so where we want to start is asking questions. First, we want to begin with getting to know the problem in depth. So how do we do that? We start by having conversations with the people that have eating disorders, maybe. So we might ask the question, where, are, where would I find people with eating disorders? We start asking questions to break down the, the, the problem that we're trying to solve here. So where do we find people with eating disorders? We start by answering that question. Then we find the answer. Then we ask, how many people can I get in contact with on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to talk with about this? How many people do I want to talk to before I decide that I have enough of a grasp on the topic? Questions we want to answer. I answer those questions. Then I decide I want to talk to two people per week about the struggle with eating disorders. So next question I might ask is, well, what am I going to ask them? So I decide what would be important to know. So where I am right now is that first I might want to create a questionnaire. So how do I create that? How many questions do I want it to be? That is a step I can take today. Maybe I decide I want to start off by creating one powerful question for my questionnaire per day until I get, say, 20 questions. So say I want my questionnaire to be 20 questions or whatever number I decide on. 
So then my first step might be I write my first question for my 20 question questionnaire that I'm going to ask two people per week. I'm going to take this questionnaire to two people per week. So I make the decision that I will have this questionnaire ready in one week. Or, well, I guess if I'm going to do it in one week, I would need to do more than two, one question a day if I want 20 questions. So if I'm doing one question a day, I would have it together in uh, a little over two weeks. So in two weeks, I'm going to say I'm going to have this questionnaire ready to ask these people these questions. And here's where I know people will get hung up. Well, what about having the perfect questions? And what if I ask the wrong questions? So here again, you won't have the perfect questions. You will learn... What questions to ask people when you start asking the questions and you start getting the answers and you start recognizing, okay, this isn't really the answer that I wanted, so maybe I want to revamp my questionnaire. You can go back and edit it. But the point is, we start where we are today, which is, okay, so I want to create this program. So I'm not going to sit down and start writing this program. I'm going to start taking apart the issue that I want to solve in this program, start asking myself questions so I can create an actionable step that I can do today. And start from there. We release the responsibility of the things that we can't control, such as, what if the questions aren't right? What if I don't get the right answers to these questions? You'll come up with a solution for that in the future. You know, what if I, what if I plan on asking two people per week, but only one person shows up to the interview per week? Well, then maybe I start the next week trying to find three people so that if maybe two people will show up, or maybe I decide I want to find four people so that only two people show up and I get two people per week. The thing is, we start taking a daily action today that we can take from where we are now, and we know that we have an intended outcome, but that that outcome is probably not going to happen the first time, and that's okay. That doesn't mean we did something wrong. We find a solution, and we do it again. We find a solution, and we try it a new way. We edit. We revamp. But what we don't do is we don't sit around and wait in inaction and consuming information, waiting for the action to be perfect before we take it. It's not going to happen. So what we can see here is that confidence comes from choosing to act in courage from the space of being a novice. So not knowing all the answers, not being well practiced in it, and then choosing to see that courageous action as something positive that we are learning from, even if we don't get the outcome we wanted to the first time. And we learn and we grow and we continue to take steps when fear and uncertainty is present and we learn and we grow. Notice, though, that at no point in this process are we sitting around waiting on confidence to arrive. It's an active creation process. Okay, so we understand that now. It's not something that a person just has or that arrives at a person. It is something that a person has to choose to create in themselves. And then, and then... They have to actively see it in themselves. And this is the trap that I mentioned earlier that I see so many people falling into is that they'll take the actions that they feared taking, but then afterwards, they don't take the time to give themselves the acknowledgement for what they've just done. They don't create that energy around the accomplishment. They don't take the time to say something to themselves like, hey, I just did something that I didn't feel like doing, and it was hard, and I was afraid, and I wasn't sure of the outcome, but I did it, and I did it for me. I love you, me. Too often what I see people doing is that we give the actions that we're not proud of or or that we choose to not be proud of. We give them a lot of attention afterwards. We, we use regret. 
And we use this as an opportunity to prove to ourselves that we're not good enough, or that we're unable, or that we're not worthy. But we don't take that same amount of intention or time when we do something that we want to be proud of and give it credit and attention in the same manner to build confidence instead of unworthiness. We don't do that. I also see people comparing their actions to other people too often and then not giving themselves acknowledgement because they're choosing to see that, oh, well, my action wasn't that great or not that special in comparison to what this person did over here. What I want to offer you is that what another person did is coming from a completely different circumstance instead of tools and from a different path. So it can never be compared to what you are doing and what you have done today because only you can be you and act from that space. Only they can be them and act from that space. So stop comparing your actions and not giving yourself credit for your actions because you're comparing it to someone else's who's working from a completely different circumstance than you. Only you can be you and take actions from being you with what you know, what you've experienced, the body that you were given, and the choices that you will choose to make as we create something. So comparing your actions to another person... While we're very practiced in doing it, if we really look at it, it makes no logical sense. But we do it all the time. So we want to let go of that practice. (laughs) Stop comparing. And this is not saying that we can't look at what someone else did and say, wow, that's really cool. I want to do something like that too. Something like that too. Sure, we can allow someone else's actions to inspire us. And I encourage that. But when we use another person's actions as a reason why our own actions are not incredible for us, that's when looking at another person's actions becomes destructive, when it no longer serves us as a useful tool, and instead it becomes a negative story of powerlessness and not enoughness. What I want you to recognize is that when you see someone else's actions and you may feel envious or jealous, what's really happening here is that there is a gift within yourself that you're not expressing that you see in this other person and you want to practice it, but you're unwilling to practice it because you're afraid it won't look like exactly what they did. So let go of that. Start practicing it. Be inspired by these actions and then take action from where you are and who you are and focus on that. That's where the action and the focus comes back to you. And then when you take those actions, you look at your actions, not not compare them to someone else's actions, and we give ourselves credit for it. That's where the self-confidence comes from. It's by recognizing the fear to take the action. It doesn't mean not to take the action. And that then we take the action by practicing courage So we act in the courage, and then we look back on that action, and we choose with intention to give ourselves the time to feel proud, to choose to feel strong, to choose to feel trust in ourselves for what we've just done and accomplished, even if the outcome wasn't exactly what we predicted. We still took the action, and then we'll find a solution so we can build confidence in knowing, I took that action. I did that even though I was afraid. Yeah, I didn't get the outcome I wanted, but I'm going to come up with a solution for that and I'm going to take an action again. This is how we build confidence. So I want to offer some, comp- some, some caution here. I'm by no means saying that every day, because I know we talked about that we need to take these uncomfortable, courageous actions. And so where I want to caution you is that we don't have to spend all day every day only taking uncomfortable actions and never take any actions that are comfortable. Because this is another trap that I see people falling into is that they they feel like if they're not constantly taking uncomfortable action that they're doing something wrong, they're not doing enough, they're not good enough, they're not pushing hard enough. And so what I want to say is that this is this isn't the goal either. 
Because taking uncomfortable actions towards growth, it takes an energetic toll on our mind and body. And that's a good thing. You can almost imagine it like lifting weights in the gym. You can do a certain number of sets and reps with a particular weight for a workout. And you just do that workout. And the more you do that workout constantly, the more weight you can lift. But you have to start where you are in your strength and build that up. So you don't need to just be like, oh, well, I have to take uncomfortable actions to grow. So I guess, you know, every day I just need to wake up and uncomfortable, 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 uncomfortable. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. We can still take actions in the things that we have already built up the esteem and the confidence and feeling comfortable within ourselves. We can still take those comfortable actions and then maybe start off with trying out one or two or three uncomfortable actions a day. And then we can slowly increase the number or maybe the intensity of the, the uncomfortableness of the action until we're like taking more uncomfortable actions than we are comfortable actions. But that doesn't necessarily have to be the goal. What I want you to get out of this is that the point is for growth, we have to be willing to take the uncomfortable action. And that's what's going to build the confidence. And then after we take the uncomfortable action, it's not the confidence isn't just going to happen then. We have to choose to create it by looking back at that action with pride, with with acknowledgement, with celebration, with patting yourself on the damn back for Christ's sake. <laughs> it, it's We have to choose a way that feels genuine for us. Maybe you go have a chat with yourself in the mirror after you've taken an action and congratulate yourself for it or say, hey, Seth, I just did that for you. That's awesome. I love you. You're awesome, man. Like maybe it's journaling. Maybe have a designated friend that you can tell these actions to who will celebrate with you the awesomeness of the action you just took, you know? There are so many different ways you can do this. Maybe you can create a weekend ritual where you give yourself a gift for, you know, having achieved so many, uh, taken so many uncomfortable actions during the week to remind yourself and, and give that to yourself and remind yourself of this is what I did this week. And I'm, I'm acknowledging myself for that right now in this gift. And the gift could be something, you know, like... I'm going to give myself, a, I'm going to go take a walk in nature and just be me and recognize me for being me. I'm going to, you know, go do something that I really enjoy that's just for me. Go to a museum, draw, paint, go for a run, something that's just for you because you enjoy it. Nobody else has to care about it. Maybe you do a puzzle for yourself and set aside some time that all you're going to do is do that puzzle and enjoy doing it. You know, it can be so many different things. Find what's genuine for you there. And then Make sure most of all that you tell yourself how much you love you for taking that action when it was hard, when you had the option of backing down. Okay? What is important here is that you create that ritual and feel it feels genuine for you and you allow yourself and create with intention the time to celebrate and congratulate yourself for taking these actions. I do recommend that whatever ritual you choose, that keeping a journal of these actions it's going to serve you in the future because you'll you'll the more you write them down, you can kind of use this journal to look back in times when your brain's wanting to feel like everything is hard and scary and you don't have enough confidence yet to take it. You can look back at the things you've done and say, yeah, yeah, I can. Look, I did this. I did that on that date and that was scary. That was hard and I did it anyways. I had no idea what was going to come out of that and actually what came out of it wasn't what I expected, but then I came up with a solution. So yes, yes, I can have faith and rely on my abilities. Because your brain is not going to just stop and give up on trying to scare you. It's not going to stop looking for the negative and looking to try and keep you safe. But once we recognize that that, the pro- that is the program it's running, we can use that to our advantage and we can talk to it and say, yeah, actually I can because look at this brain. Look at this. I did that. So 
there's this ritual and active practice and intention and celebration. These are keys here, my friend, in creating the confidence. And this is where I see most people dropping off in their process of creating self-confidence. So number one step is remembering our future and then becoming aware of where we are. Step two is becoming aware of where we are and where we're wanting to go. Step three is creating that plan, those daily actionable steps, and not being in a hurry to get there to be good enough because we already know that we're good enough exactly where we are. We're doing this because we want to, because we want to go after that goal, and we want to find what happens when we push ourselves to grow and evolve to to be the most of us that we know that we are. And then do not forget the most important part, step four, where everyone leaves off. And that's the acknowledgement, the celebration, and the choosing to take time to acknowledge that you just did a courageous thing. And you did that for you. And to remember that you did that. To choose with intention to remember that you did that. That's how we build confidence Confidence in action, my friend. That is confidence in action. And over time, as we do this, what you're going to see is that you will start accumulating this mound of evidence that you can rely on your abilities. And then maybe, just maybe, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You definitely will. <laughs> you start to go, you're going to start to notice your self-confidence. You're going to start to notice it becoming a powerful force. In, in how you choose your goals and take actions on them. All right, my friends? So remember, confidence is an active process, but it doesn't just stop with the action. We then act by intentionally going inside of ourselves, acknowledging and celebrating. That's part of the process. You're not just going to take the action and then be like, oh, there's confidence, it's here now. No, we have to go back with intention and be like, yes, I did that and it was hard and I did it. I did that. Give yourself that intentional time and acknowledgement. So, you have the four step, the, the basic four steps in the process of creating confidence in yourself. I want to leave you with this quote, and it's powerful. All right? Stand up straight and realize who you are and that you tower over your circumstances. It's by Maya Angelou. Every human on this planet has the potential to see that in themselves. You can actualize that potential in you and be an example for those around you that they too can look at their circumstances and know who they are and that they tower over those circumstances. I look forward to a world full of people who see how they tower over their circumstances and who believe in their abilities that they can rely on themselves and each other to take actions to move forward and always find solutions. That's all I have for you today, my friends. I love you all. And I can't wait to talk with you all and your new self-confidence again next week. Ciao. Hey, thank you for listening in this week. I hope you enjoyed the content of this episode. If you did, please subscribe or follow this podcast to receive the newest episodes every week as I bring them to you here on the Connect Your Health to Life coaching channel. 
Ratings, reviews, and comments are always appreciated. These allow me to know more of what my listeners would like in the podcast and allow for more people who may be searching for a podcast just like this one to find the Connect Your Health to Life coaching channel. If you would like more information about me and the work that I do with my clients one-on-one, then please visit my website at www.slch.ch. Again, that is www.slch.ch. You can also find me on social media on Instagram at SethLusk underscore coaching. Again, that is SethLusk underscore coaching. And on Facebook in my free Facebook group community called A Healthy Life Connection. We would love to have you in the group, and it's only three membership questions that you have to answer to join. And again, it's entirely free. And if you need any further information or just want to say hello, feel free to send me an email directly at slusk.health at slch.ch. Again, that is slusk.health at slch.ch. Thank you again so much for listening, and I look forward to our next time together. Ciao.